Well, I'd like to begin this morning, I think you guys can do two things at once, uh, by having you uh, ask a question and kind of answer the question uh, with the person beside you. And I'll decide if you want it to be person on your right or your left. But this is the question. Um, what are some of your favorite foods? Okay? So just talk to the person beside you for a second. What are some of your favorite foods? Go. Now, I know some of you are still talking, so uh, we'll have to cut you there for a second. Uh, you could go on and on with this, I'm sure. Here's the second question. Let's uh, talk with this uh, to the person beside you. What are some of your least favorite foods, okay? So... Wow, some of you have more least favorite than favorites, I think. I'm not sure. Well, isn't it interesting how the kitchen often is the place where we connect together? And it's the place where people feel most comfortable. Um, it's always amazing to me that when we invite friends over to our house, uh, or family, or our small group that we meet with, that we will have cleaned the entire house tried to make everything look nice, and everyone just kind of gathers right there in the kitchen. And uh, my wife, Jennifer, gets real ticked off about that sometimes. She's like, I clean this whole house, and all they're doing is in the kitchen, you know? And, uh, but I think the reason is, is because people like the kitchen. It feels comfortable to be in the kitchen. It's where we most want to be. Well, I'd like to begin this morning by telling you a story. Once upon a time, in a three-bedroom brick house, there lived a family on Geneva Avenue. There were 20 kids who lived on this street, ranging from age 5 to 15, and every single one of them knew the first name of each, of each kid. Each day around 6.30 in the morning, all the dads would pull out with their Chevrolets, most of them driving trucks, and they would go to the local factory where they would put in uh, their shift for the day and would be done around 3. Almost all the moms on, in this neighborhood stayed at home. A couple worked outside, but most stayed at home. And they met, and what the moms would do was they would prepare meals, they would do laundry, they would referee the children, they'd work in a garden, and they would clean their house. After breakfast, the kids would actually uh, be kicked out of the house. The moms would say, go out and play. And some of the activities that the kids would play were things like wiffle ball and riding bikes and basketball, uh, playing near a creek that was down the street, and fort. And whatever house the kids went to, in this neighborhood, the mom was stuck to feed all of them for lunch. So they would all come together, and whoever was there, that's where you would eat lunch at. Now, there was absolutely no adult supervision. There was none needed, and there was none required. And about 3.30, the fathers would come home, 
They would pull up into the drive, walk into the house, sit down in their lazy boy chair, prop it up, and either read the newspaper or take a nap. Or maybe watch a little TV. And then a couple hours after that, the moms would tell the dads to go to the front door and yell to all of the kids uh, in their house that it was dinner time and for them to come back. There weren't a lot of uh, organized sports during this time, and there were never any activities whatsoever on Sunday morning. Most people just kind of hung out in their homes, and they had family dinners together religiously. Life was fairly predictable. Certainly, it wasn't perfect, but with a very, very manageable pace. Now, what I just described you is not a Hollywood movie, but as you probably guessed, I just described where I grew up, on Geneva Avenue in Marion, Indiana, in the 1970s. Now, Flash forward till today, and this is what most families in the United States experience. The family rises at 6 a.m. Everyone fends for himself or herself for breakfast. Dad heads out at 6.45 to beat the 7 o'clock traffic. His normal commute without excessive traffic is 45 minutes. Mom and the two children are out the door by 7.15. Usually one of the kids is cranky because they didn't get enough sleep. Mom drops her two elementary kids off at 7.40. 20 minutes later, she arrives at her workplace. At 3.30, the children are done with school, and they go to an after-school program. Mom skips lunch so that she can rush immediately at 5 o'clock to pick the kids up. She arrives home at 5.30. 15 minutes later, one son has basketball practice. She gets both kids in the car and rushes to make the practice to the field on time, or to the game on time. The other son has a game at 8 o'clock. She calls her husband on the cell phone while talking to the son at the same time to let him know that his practice is at 7.30 and he needs to pick him up at 7.15 at the other son's practice. Dad arrives at the gym at 7.15 with all the signs of road stress. He kisses his wife, he waves to his son who's practicing, wishes the second son into his SUV, and heads off to the next practice. Son number one finishes practice at 7.30, and mom, head, and mom and he head home. On the way, they stop at Taco Bell for dinner. They arrive home at 8 o'clock. The boy turns to video games while the mom checks out the, her email and her Facebook account. Meantime, the other basketball game gets started a little bit late and doesn't end until 9.45. Dad is still in his business casual clothes, but he does uh, kind of an excitement because it's the first break that he's had all day to watch his son play ball. On their way home, they make a quick stop at the McDonald's drive through and they arrive at home at 10.30 at night. Once in the house, son number two reveals that he has a history test, and it is tomorrow. After 45 minutes of cramming down facts into her son's short memory while he inhales a McDonald's Happy Meal, mom sends him to bed. It is now 11.15 p.m., time for bed. 
Mom and dad flop into bed, dead tired. That sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. And for those of you who are single parents, you're my heroes. Because I don't know how you do it. Because you do all of that, for many of you, by yourselves. Today we're concluding our series, The Elephant in the Room, and we're going to be looking at the kitchen. But as you can probably already guess, we're not going to be talking about cooking. But what we're going to be talking about is what I think is one of the biggest elephants that happens in our homes, and especially in the kitchen, and it's this. Most of us are far too busy. You might just write that on the top of your program. Most of us, including me, are far too busy. We're just way too busy. The reality is that for many of us, our kitchens have simply become passing zones. We just pass one another while we go on to the next activity. We hustle and bustle around the kitchen. We stop and pick up a can of pop or a cold uh, piece of pizza, and we're off to the endless activities that we have for the rest of the day. And the problem is, is that many driven parents are producing children who are overstimulated and overscheduled. And the Bible tells us this, that hurry and worry and scurry have dramatic negative effects on our lives. So I'd like to just begin this morning what a hurried life gives to you. Four things that affect a hurried lifestyle. The first is this. You feel more stressed. You feel more stressed. You do. You feel more stressed. The Bible says this. Overwork makes for restless sleep. When you're always in a hurry and you're always charging around to do the next thing, you get depleted. You cannot be charging and then recharging at the same time. You have to make a choice. You have to slow down. Now, there's nothing wrong with going fast, just as long as you don't go fast all the time. Eventually, you have to slow down and get recharged. The reality is, folks, None of us are this, the Energizer Bunny, right? We have to get our batteries recharged. Plus, for those of you who have kids or grandkids, I just want to share with you a statistic that I read this week that was amazing to me. But it showed that 46% of all kids under the age of 18, the two biggest emotional issues that they deal with is stress and depression. 46% of our kids under the age of 18, the biggest emotional things they deal with is stress and depression. And do you know what it has a direct correlation to? How they're overscheduled in their life. Here's the second thing about a hurried lifestyle. You lose your joy. You just lose your joy. The Bible says this, my days go by faster than a runner. They fly away without me seeing any joy. You know, the faster you go in life, the less time you have to enjoy it. 
You can't enjoy things at a fast pace. We enjoy things at a slow pace. For instance, this group of 15 people who went to Tijuana, Mexico, they got on a plane and they went probably 350 miles an hour, if not faster. Now, how many of them do you think enjoyed the scenery underneath them? Zero, because they were just going too fast. And you can't even get on a train that's going 80 or 90 miles an hour. You can't enjoy the scenery because you're going too fast. I mean, you can't even drive in a car 65 or 70 miles an hour. Or for some of you, a little bit faster, more like a train, you know. But you can't enjoy everything outside the window because you're going too fast. That's why one of the things that Jennifer and I like to do, when we go to a new city, we like to take either their public transportation or we just like to walk. Because if you want to see a town or a city, you walk around it. And it's in the walking that you hear the sounds of the city and you slow down and you can enjoy everything that's going on. Enjoyment comes slow. If your life is just a constant pressure of fast, 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 more, 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 you're not going to enjoy anything because you miss the details of life. Here's a third hurried thing that, or here's a third thing that a hurried lifestyle does. It makes you less productive. It makes you less productive. I never realized this until about two years ago. I had stopped taking a Sabbath where I just didn't do anything on a particular day. And I just thought, man, if I just keep doing that, now that totally goes against God's word, number one. But secondly, I was less productive. It's true, folks. If you just go, 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 and you don't take a break, you're less productive. I uh, saw a bumper sticker a few years ago that said this, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. Okay? The hurrier I go, The behinder I get. And that's a biblical principle. The Bible says this. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. Those of you who took an economics class in high school or college will know that this is called the law of diminishing return. The reality is you can only go so far before it has a diminishing return back to you. It means that when you go, 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 eventually you can only go so far and then you become less productive. You've got to pace yourself. You've got to take breaks. You've got to slow down. Here's the last thing. Spiritually, when you're running at such a high speed, a fourth thing happens. And it's this. You can't hear God. You can't hear God. If you're moving at a fast pace all the time, you can't get to know God. You can't. Because if you're going to get to know God, you've got to slow down and be still to listen to Him. In fact, the Bible says this, one of my favorite scriptures. It says, be still and know that I am God. You see, the reality is, there's something about knowing God and being still. In other words, you can't know God at a fast pace. You've got to know Him at a slow pace. If you want to know God, you've got to be still. You've got to slow down. You've got to take some moments just to be quiet. You've got to take some moments where you just listen in solitude. In fact, 
I would challenge you this week that you would just take five minutes a day and that you would try to listen to God. And you would just ask him a question. I'll tell you that question in a second. You take five minutes a day. That equals 35 minutes, which I did a calculation. It's .0034% of all the minutes you have this week. Does that seem like a lot? Are we awake? No. It's a very small time. And what I'd like you to ask is this question. God, is there anything you want to say to me? Some of you may need to write that down, but most of you probably could figure that out. And I don't, you know, God probably is not going to speak to you audibly, but he may give you a picture. He may give you some prompting. He may tell you to slow down and take five more minutes, you know. But you've got to be still if you're going to know God. And you wait and you listen for His calmness to speak to you. It's just so important that you do this. You know, I was thinking about it this week. The reality is that busyness and hurry are Satan's two most powerful tools to get you distracted in life. He can take only those two things and He can distract everything in your life. And we can't become more like Jesus if we're just always rushing from one activity to the next activity to the next. You're just passing through the kitchen. So what I want to do is kind of give us some hope today of what our kitchens can become. Not passing zones where we're just high and by, but kitchens that can become places that create energy for us. And the first zone that I want to talk about is that our kitchens can become serving zones. They can become serving zones. Now, I just want you to know, though, for your kitchen to become a serving zone, you're going to have to go against the grain of the culture. Because the culture says, we don't even have kitchens anymore. You just go out to eat. You don't do anything in the kitchen except pick something up and take off to the next activity. So you've got to go against the grain. And to explain this, what I'd like to do is take you back to a kitchen. I'm going to transport you. You ready to go? We're all going to be transported. Okay, we're back in a kitchen. Okay? 2,000 years ago, we're in a kitchen. And at this particular kitchen, there is this big table a long table. It's a table where Jesus sat at the night before he died. And this is what happened. The Bible says this, Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world and to go to his Father. Having loved his dear companions, he now showed them the full extent of his love right to the end. It was supper time. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God, and he was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robes, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples, drying them with his apron. Now, there are a few things that I notice in this scripture, and I want you to notice them as well. And the first one is this, 
This phrase that Jesus gave, that Jesus wanted to show his dear companions, those he loved, the full extent of his what? Of his love. To the very end. So, how did Jesus do this? Well, he didn't just use words. He showed us. He showed us that for love to be defined, the best way that love is defined is not with words, but with actions. The second thing I want you to notice here is that the Scripture tells us that Jesus knew who He was. He knew that He had come from God, and He knew that He was going back to God. He was returning to God. Now, if there was anyone in that kitchen on that particular night who had power and authority to tell people what to do, when to do it, and where to do it, it was Jesus. He is the Son of God. He could tell anyone what to do. You do this, you do that, you do the other thing. He could have just ordered people around. But he does something totally different instead. Scripture tells us that he takes a towel, he takes an apron, he wraps it around his waist, and then he kneels. God's one and only Son gets on his knees. He crouches over and he begins to wash the dirty, grungy, nasty, stinky feet of his disciples. That was a job for the slave of the house, the one who would serve. You see, in Jesus' day, they didn't have sandals. Most people didn't. Most of them just walked bare bare feet. If you had sandals, you were a person of wealth. Most didn't. And Jesus gets down, and I'm sure the disciples were just stunned. Here's this guy that for three years had done miracles, healed people, everything, and now he's on his, his knees. And he's washing dirty, stinky feet. And I have a feeling that that image never left their their mind. Jesus bent down with his gentle hands and he washed dirty feet. And in a real way, what he did was he modeled, not only to his disciples, but for every single one of us, of how we should treat one another. You see, folks, Jesus desires for our kitchens to become serving zones. I'm not saying start washing each other's feet all the time. You know, people freak out that way. But using it as a metaphor that we begin to start serving our families. A place where you put a towel around your arm and you just start serving everyone in the family. A place where people are just looking for opportunities to serve. And I was just thinking about it this week, that if all of our families started doing this, what would it sound like? Well, I think it might sound like this. Hey, Mom and Dad, uh, is there anything that I can do to help with dinner to make sure that it's ready? Or, I'll be happy to clear off the table. You let me do it. You go take it easy. Or, hey, you look like you're having some trouble with your homework there, buddy. Would you like some help? I have a feeling for some of our families that if those words started coming through, we'd have heart attacks. We'd be like, whoa! 
Because that isn't the reality of many of our homes. The reality of many of our homes sounds more like this. What's for dinner? Oh, we had that last week. Do we have to eat it again? Or, you got to be kidding me. i got to load the dishwasher again today? I did it yesterday. It's his turn. Or, I'm just too busy tonight, buddy, for homework. You'll just have to do the best that you can. But I'm telling you, folks, it doesn't have to be that way. Our kitchens can become serving zones. And it all begins when you take responsibility. You can't be responsible for every single person in your house, but you can be responsible for you. And you can say, I'm going to start serving. And you know what I found in our family? Jennifer models it many times better than I do. But if she or I take the lead and we start serving, pretty soon Jordan's like, can I sweep the floor? And Shiloh goes, she's six months old. But it's amazing that when we're doing that, all of a sudden, everyone else in the family does it. And it always begins with somebody. And why shouldn't it be you? And when someone does this in the family and they step up, I'm just telling you, other people follow suit. Here's the second thing that I think our kitchens can become. Our kitchens can become safety zones. Safety zones. I think our kitchens can be a place where our children, teenagers, adults, that they can come into the kitchen and they can be free to express whatever they want and they're going to be loved in that place. A couple of weeks ago when I was teaching on the elephant in the bedroom, I said that the bedroom should be the safest place for all married couples. And in the same way, I think the kitchen should be the safest place for all families that have kids. The Bible says this, God says, I will give safety to your children and ease them. You see, folks, when kids are attending school, they spend more time in that building during their waking hours than they do anywhere else. And for many of those kids, that can be a very traumatic time, especially if you're a teenager. Because when you're a teenager, you're picked on, there's peer pressure, You're made fun of. You're bullied. And we need to model for our kids what the Heavenly Father does when they come home. That this is going to be a place where there is safety and there is ease. And for adults, whether you're single or whether you're married, you fight battles all day long when you're at work. And when you come back to the kitchen, that needs to be a place where it's safe. A place of refuge. A place of ease. The kitchen needs to be the most accepting place in your house. Where everyone's loved for, where everyone's cared about, regardless of who they are or what they've done. A place where your heart is not pierced by damage, but a place where everyone's laughing together. And I don't mean the kind of laughing that is kind of sarcastic backbiting. You know, families do that a lot, too, and that's not healthy. Jennifer and I have kind of started a custom at our house. Again, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a six-month-old. But we just start making silly faces right in the middle of the supper table. I'll go, Jordan. And J- Jennifer has this gross monster. I don't know if I can do it. She does it at her, and I do it. 
And we just do this. Now, we do it after they eat, okay? And all of a sudden, then, I'll, I'll kind of do a belch. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to do this, but I belch. And I go, well, how are you? And then Jordan goes, good. And she just starts smiling, laughing. Folks, your supper tables need to be places more than just, let's see how fast we can eat. It's got to be a place where you laugh, you enjoy, you hang out together. And most of all, your kitchen needs to be a place where there's unconditional love, where you're loved no matter what. So kitchens become places that are safe and where people are serving rather than just passing strangers almost in the night. So how do we do that? How can we do that? Well, we need to slow down if we're going to have healthy kitchens, and this is how we're going to do it. If you're going to slow down, the first step you have to do is you have to take a ruthless inventory. You have to take a ruthless inventory. You take a ruthless inventory of how you spend your time. I would suggest, first of all, pulling out your calendar. Let me just tell you right now, if you're a family and you don't have a calendar, go buy one today. Because this is what people say, oh, I don't need a calendar, I can do whatever. And pretty soon, you're just living moment to moment, day to day. You have no idea. A few years ago, Jennifer bought this thing, it cost 140 bucks. When she brought it to me and it was $140, I said, I don't care what it is, it's going back. But what it is, is one of these dry erase calendars that have a court board on one side and something else on the other. And each month we sit down, she and I, and we write out exactly what's going on. Because you don't know how busy your life is if you don't write it down the month before you're going to do this stuff. And I can't tell you how many times Jennifer and I have sat down and we'll look at a week and we'll go, man, something's got to give here. And you know what's nice about dry erase? You just get the eraser. You take it off. And we've had to cancel things, do different stuff. I'm not saying we do it great all the time, but almost each month we try to do this. And if it doesn't match what we think are our priorities, we erase it. Also, what would be good is to just ask yourself some questions. Does our family feel like we're always in a rush? Is each family member getting enough sleep and exercise? Do we have frequent evenings where we're just sitting together at the table, eating together as a family? This was one thing that Jennifer and I decided uh, when Jordan was born. We just said, however hard we, it is, we're going to do it. Four nights a week, we try to eat together at a table. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Three nights, we usually eat at home. And on Wednesday night, neither one of us want to cook, so we go to what I think is the best table in Delaware County, Bob Evans. And you know, what, well, you know what's great about Bob Evans? It isn't like Texas Roadhouse or anything, and there's all this music going, boom, boom, ah, my grandma left me, and I'm so good, you know? And it's not some other place, you know, where it's so loud, you're like, whoa, you go to Bob Evans, half the people don't have teeth, the other half, you know, I mean, they're just sitting there trying to figure out what's going on, and there's my wife, Jennifer, and I. So don't come to Bob Evans on Wednesday night, because it's our family time, okay? Don't mess us up. But that was our goal, and we've tried to do it. 
Other things you might want to assess. Are you serving one another? Or is there complaining and grumbling going on in your family all the time? Have you carved out enough time to just play and have fun? Do you schedule breaks? Do you schedule vacations? I know the economy is really difficult right now. But I'll tell you some things that you can do that are cheap, free almost. You go to a park. I've tried to take my daughter and spend money at Chuck E. Cheese, which drives me crazy, and she doesn't like it either. I go to Westside Park and let her run around and get all kinds of germs on her, and she loves it, you know? I mean, get away. Do something. But you've got to take an inventory together. Here's another thing. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. We must remind ourselves frequently that we're not victims. You're not a victim of your schedule. I realize that you can't single-handedly take care of the activities of the sports schedule at your school or how much homework um, your kids are going to have, but you can take control over the things that you can take control over. And if your life is too full of activity, then take something off the calendar. Or better yet, put something on. One family I know in this church, one of the things they do is that they take a, 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 a Sunday evening and what they do is they put family time and nothing changes. They might do nothing except look, to, look at each other the whole time. But they're hanging out together as a family. Other times they have a board game that they'll play. Because I'm telling you, the thing that I hear from people more and more all the time is I'm just so busy. And parents will tell me my kids are in dozens of things. And I'm just telling you, if you don't plan chill-out time, time to do your own kind of silence, no one's ever going to give that to you. The school will take it from you. Work will take it from you. Your family will even take it from you. Especially when you have little kids and grandparents want to see them all the time. I just kick them out sometimes. I go, yeah, hey, get out of here, you know. But they're takers. And it's your responsibility to slow your life down. This week I was talking to a mom, and she was telling me that her daughter had made the basketball team. And she was so excited about it, but her daughter was already in a touring choir. Uh, she was already uh, focused in on uh, student government in her school, FCA, several other activities. I mean, just kind of a constant, uh, you know, uh, list of activities she was involved in. And you could just tell she was frustrated and, you know, and I just asked her one question. I said, well, what are you going to do? And finally she decided she was going to go and talk to the coach. And she was going to tell this coach that now had told her that they were going to practice six nights a week, that there was one night she couldn't practice and there were two weekends that as a family they were going away. And if you want to cut my kid from that, then I guess, you know, we'll have to deal with that on the other side. Now, I don't know what happened with the conversation, but you know what I was doing the whole time? It was like I was cheering for her. It was just applauding her because I was thinking so much, here you are, you're making family first. You're making it a priority. Now, I'm not going to tell you how many activities your kids should be in or shouldn't be in, but you decide. And when you see things like fatigue and a lack of motivation and irritability, then you need to maybe change it around for your kids. In fact, I showed a, a statistic this week. Because you know what happens is you get your kids involved in these organized sports, and there's many good things for it to happen. But you think he's going to be 
a pro football player. You know how many pro football players there are in Delaware County? I haven't seen them. They don't live here anymore. They went somewhere else. There's only a couple that have ever made it. So he's not going to be a pro. He's probably not going to be in college. And this is what I found out this week. 70% of all kids who are in organized sports, by the time they're 13, 70% of them quit. You know why? Because they don't like to play anymore. I love sports. I was a three-sport athlete. I mean, I thought I was everything. But I'll tell you what, I, already, I just don't want my kids to be that involved. I don't. Folks, every human being, every adult, every child needs a certain amount of downtime for their own health and happiness. You've got to take responsibility. Here's the last thing. Take a look in the mirror. Take a look in the mirror. Moms and dads, your kids are watching every single thing you do. They are. And if you're driven and you're overscheduled all the time, that's what they see. I was reading a, a book this week called Creating Space for God in a Hectic Life. And it's by Carrie Kent. And she gives a, kind of a story about a mom who uh, decided she was going to schedule her life differently after this happened to her son. Her son was pretty young, and all of a sudden she noticed that he started stuttering. And it became a concern for uh, herself and her husband, and she couldn't figure out where this was coming from. Because the marriage was good, there wasn't a lot of issues with that. And so finally one day she just asked her son, she said, Honey, I've noticed that you've been stuttering a little bit. Have you noticed that? You know, why do you think that's happening? And he said, Mommy, you go too fast. You only give me a short time to answer, and I can never think of the words fast enough to get them out of my mouth before you're off to something else. And it was an enormous wake-up call for that mom. And she changed everything in her schedule because she decided, if I'm going that fast, nothing can be better than slowing down. So let me ask you this morning, are you going too fast? Are you distracted from your over-scheduled schedule? Are you so busy that you don't really even have time to hang out with God for five minutes or to bring your kids here to church. You know, one of the things that I hear from Jana, who oversees our children's and family ministry all the time, is that she says, what's so sad is some of our parents will bring their kid once, and then I don't see them for three or four or five weeks, and then they bring them a second time, and the kid walks in and goes, man, I miss church, I miss seeing God. And what happens is, is that many times something comes up in our schedule and we haven't made it a priority, and we just do that thing. Or we sleep in and we say, we're not going to go this Sunday, we're not going to go the next Sunday. Now, it may not affect you as parents, but I'll tell you what it does to your kids. It makes them understand a little bit less and less about God and how consistent He can be in their life. Now, let me just close by saying this. I really struggled to work on this teaching this week. Because when I looked at my Tuesday, I thought, man, 
I'm no person to talk on this subject. I got up early in the morning. I got Jordan ready. Ran out the door. Went to a meeting in the morning. Had another meeting that morning. Had more meetings that afternoon. And uh, worked on some projects. And then that night I had a meeting. And uh, the only break was a half hour that I went to reading time with Jordan. And at 9 o'clock I walked into the house. And I realized I had been gone that whole time. I gave Jordan a quick bath. We did our devotions. I went into Shiloh's room. I read uh, the devotion with her and we prayed a little bit. I went and ate something real quick, talked to Jen about our day, what was going on, and then went to bed. And I woke up Wednesday morning when I was hanging out with God and I just felt this sense that, man, God, I'm not qualified to talk about this. And luckily, I'd already scheduled in my life that this weekend I was going to be at Hartford City at a retreat center, and I spent uh, Thursday night and Friday and Saturday just hanging out with God. And I was going, God, I feel so inadequate to talk about this because my life isn't always such a healthy pace. And I sense God wanting me to tell you that for all of us folks, we just have to slow down. We need some stillness in our life. And the second thing that I sensed was, He wanted me to say that it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight for you to do this. We've gotten into habits where we think normal is accelerator to the floor, and it's not. And it's going to be a habit that you'll have to fight, not just now, but in the days and weeks and years ahead, to slow down your life. Because the reality is, folks, we don't live in 1970 on Geneva Avenue anymore. We live in a technological world where everything is at our fingertips. And there is constantly something wanting to take our time. And as families who are trying to understand this Jesus who washed dirty, nasty feet, we need to stand up and say, enough is enough. I won't live this insane lifestyle anymore. Because, friends, God doesn't want your kitchen to be a passing zone. He wants it to be a serving zone and a safe place where you connect. Here's our last scripture. It says this, The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. Every detail. Every detail of every person's life he's thinking about right now. God knows what everyone's going through right now. And He wants you to flourish. He knows the struggles that you're going through. He knows the schedule that you've overscheduled yourself with. He knows the secrets that are in your life. And he says, I know all of that. And even in the midst of those details that I know, I want to help you. I want you to flourish. God doesn't want your life to be accelerator to the floor all the time and overwhelmed. He wants your family to be a safe place where serving abounds, and where love is always given. I know you can have that kind of place. Jennifer and I are working all that we can to try to provide it in our home. And let's do it together. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, for some of us, one word may define us more than anything else, and that's overwhelmed. 
we just feel overwhelmed with life. And that may be because of uh, situations that we can't control, but often, God, it's because we just kind of become so overscheduled and overstimulated. And God, you know it was my prayer that people wouldn't leave from here today and as they're walking out to their cars, they'd just say, ah, yeah, I probably need to slow down a little bit. But God, you know that what my prayer is that people would really start carving out places, number one for you, this kind of five-minute thing this week. That five minutes each day, they'd just kind of sit in silence and, and try to ask the question, God, do you have anything you want to say to me? And then they'd look at their calendars, God, and they would be willing to carve out what they need so that there can be a healthier pace to their life and to their family. God, there are so many different elephants in the different rooms of our house. And we pray, God, that the kitchens this week that are represented by the families who are here today would be filled with laughter and love and time for people to connect with one another. Because, God, as we enter this time of thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for. And, God, may our family be the kind of center set that flows out that spirit of thankfulness. Go with each person this day, God. Surround them with your love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up. And remember to sign up over here on the side.